Hello, everybody. Welcome to Naked Security Podcast, episode number five. It's been a while, but we're back. And today we're mob-handed. I'm joined by Matthew Body. Hello, Matthew. Hi there. Uh, Matt, a bit later, is I'm going to be talking to him about some uh, presentations he's doing that try and convince you that mobile security is worth worrying about. Uh, we've also got Mark Stockley, who's our web security expert. Hello, Mark. Hi, Duck. And I'm Paul Ducklin. And the reason why we got Mark on the show and the reason why we need a web security expert, you can probably guess where this is going. The great big Facebook breach that was announced, at least in the UK, Friday evening. Always the time to give bad news, according to every PR expert I've ever heard. Actually, it was the morning Eastern Daylight Time, so in the US. So, Mark, this is a bit of a different breach. It's about the first time I can remember where our initial advice is not that you should rush out and change your password. And, in fact, changing your password is unnecessary and won't do anything. The the normal advice of uh, change your password and, you know, maybe go and set up 2FA, actually none of that applies. And it puts us in, in quite an interesting position in terms of what's the best advice to give after this data breach. Instead of getting at the password database, in this attack, the crooks managed to get what are being called access tokens. So they're kind of, that's kind of browser or app cookies. Yeah, so an access token is what you get when you've authenticated yourself. So, you know, you're used to the idea that, you know, you hand over a, a username and password and maybe a, a 2FA code, and then you're logged in. And what happens in the background is that Facebook says... Uh, yes, you are who you say you are. And then here's an access token. This is like your badge to get around the building. Right. And as long as you can display this badge, you don't have to re-authenticate yourself. We won't ask you for your username and password again. So in, in every important respect, that access token is a substitute for your username and password. So if I can steal your access token, I can impersonate you just as easily as if I can steal your username and password. So this is like you check into a hotel in the UK... Uh, They're obliged to ask for your passport, at least if you're not British, and they check your ID and when they swipe your credit card and they figure out, yeah, you you are who you claim and you paid. And then they give you a card that lets you into the room, lets you back into the hotel at night, in and out until the end of your stay. And either you can hand back the card, which is like logging out of the hotel, or when your stay is supposed to be finished, they could cancel that card so it no longer works. But you never have to show any ID again, do you? That's right. Unless you do something very naughty indeed. Yeah, and, and of course, in this case, you're not paying for the hotel, and the hotel would really like you to stay for as long as you like. <laughs> exactly. So, so hold on to that access token, but don't give it to anybody else, because if they get it, then they're you. Now, normally, the access token, if you're logged into Facebook via your browser, that's implemented as a cookie, isn't it? So it's not something that you're supposed to remember. You're not, you don't have to type it in again. It's just some random string of hexadecimal stuff. It's a, it's a thing that you have that you don't know you have that you're handing over instead of your username and password. And in an, in an app, that access token cookie, whatever you want to call it, that's just stored somewhere by the app. And in fact, you probably can't retrieve it. I'm sure Matt's got away. <laughs> oh, yeah, well... <laughs> Maybe he'll tell us when it, in his <laughs> Android hack. Maybe we can talk about that. Yeah. So my understanding is, in this case, the the although there were numerous bugs tied together, vulnerabilities tied together to make this work, the the core of the problem was that Facebook has a is it view as option, 
Yeah, so uh, as you say, so Facebook's got this feature called View As, and interestingly enough, it's a privacy feature. <laughs> so, um, and, and that, you know, there's a, there's a whole uh, story in that, I guess. As as the, you can check that you've restricted things enough by looking as, turning yourself into a less privileged yeah, user. So let's say I go to Naked Security and I read one of our guides about how to lock down your Facebook settings. And I think, you know, I'm locking down my settings and I'm quite happy for my friends uh, to see certain things, but there are other people that I don't want to see things. I want to go and see, you know, what does my profile look like to Matt Body? What does Matt Body see when he looks at my profile? Not generally speaking, is my profile locked down, but specifically, what do I look like to this other person? And it can be anybody on Facebook. Um, And what seems to have happened is that whoever cracked this particular bug, they actually found three vulnerabilities. They managed to chain three vulnerabilities together to turn what was a view as function into essentially become. So rather than seeing my profile as Matt Body would see it, I can abuse these bugs and turn seeing my profile as Matt Body into actually being Matt Body on Facebook. And then I have access to Matt Body's friends. Once you're Matt Body, you can view as somebody else that he knows, and the, from the next guy to the and third so and the fourth and the and fifth. So on. And so and then 50 million users later... Okay, so according to Facebook, it, they are thinking that they introduced this fault back in 2017, but there's no evidence that this was found and exploited until quite recently. Is that correct? They, well, I, I think we're in that phase of the data breach, you know, as often happens with data breaches, where you become aware that a, and a breach has occurred, yeah. and there's this dearth of information. And the way that, that we normally think about it is we're not hearing very much probably because they don't know very much. You'd imagine it's pretty hard to find out exactly what happened because you probably didn't cater for that when you coded up your logging. Yeah, and also, I mean, Facebook's absolutely enormous. Let's not forget the fact that, you know, we're talking about something that is in use by maybe a billion people almost continuously. And I I think it's a situation of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Their choice is they can either tell us that a breach has happened and not tell us very much information because they don't know very much, or they can hold on until they do know something, in which case we would all be sat here saying, why did they wait so long to tell us? So I think they've, they've done the right thing. They've essentially logged out 90 million users. So there's 50 million users that they think have actively been victims of this attack. And then there's another 40 million users who, I think, taken together the 50 and the 40, is all the people who've used the view as functionality in the last year. Is that yeah, that's, yeah, that's how I remember it. To go into bat for Facebook very, very gently for a little bit. My understanding is they figured this out for themselves because they keep a watch on which API calls, which function calls in the system are being used. And they noticed a spike in this view as, is how I understand it. And it was that surge of 40 million users for the first 365 days of the year, followed by 50 million in a day or so. So it seems that the, the actual time that this was being exploited was quite short. But you still don't know when the crooks first knew they could do this. I think one of the other interesting things that we don't know as well is obviously we don't know why somebody or a group of people did this. But what we do know is that Facebook are are very active in terms of giving out bug bounties. So they pay hackers money if they find bugs of a certain type. So Facebook... And an access token one would be... That would be a... Top tier, wouldn't it? Top You'd imagine bugs. so. So there's, there's That'd be like a single there's three, there's three bugs oh, here. <laughs> there's, there's three bugs here. And 
the person that found them might have been looking at anything up to $36,000 in rewards for each Times of them. Times three. Yeah. Facebook is no stranger to bugs. We write about Facebook bugs on Naked Security quite a lot. But normally we write about them in the context of somebody earning a bug bounty. Somebody yeah. has earned you know $10,000 for finding this, uh, maybe $36,000 for finding this. And that's responsible discussion, that's, right? Where you, you tell them first, they fix it, then you tell the world, problem sorted. And everybody wins. You know, you get to yeah. write a blog post about how terrible Facebook are if you're the person that found the bug, so you get kudos. You get dollars, Facebook becomes more secure. But in this case, whoever did this has turned down an awful lot of money. Mark and Matt, given that all we know is the crooks, they didn't get your password, they can't come back and log in later. If you're affected, it's kind of probably sorted because Facebook forcibly logged you out, which invalidates those access tokens. What do you do? If you're one of those 90 million people who found yourself forcibly logged out, what on earth do you do? Like, how can you fix the problem? How can you figure out whether anybody did anything that they shouldn't have. Should you go back and look through all your posts and make sure you didn't miss one that you didn't send? It's difficult to say what exactly you'd do because it's because the information hasn't been disclosed by Facebook yet. But at the same time, if you've got some information that you're not proud of or not wanting other people outside of your friendship friendship circle to share... Do people do that on Facebook? On Facebook, of course. I mean, so you uh, share stuff you're not proud of yeah. freely with your friends. With your friends. But anybody else, of course, you've got the control I'd, to have I'd want to share to that you. with everyone else. Not I want to, to know what Matt's been sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to know. <laughs> so it's, in, unless and until Facebook's able to say exactly, well, these accounts, they looked at this, that and the other, they might have, certainly they might be able to get things like name, phone number, address, your friends list, what you're interested in. So certainly for future social engineering and, and future attacks, phishing attacks, this could be gold, couldn't yeah. it? But in terms of them actually posting fake news or whatever it is that hackers do these days... There isn't any evidence, as far as I know, that they've actually actively gone out of their way to create some kind of Facebook news storm or anything like that. I think I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say I think this is almost beyond advice. I think that there are there are some very interesting implications that come from this. If you're one of the ninety people, ninety. One of the 90 people, if you're one of the 90 million people, six orders of magnitude, you should be a physicist. (laughs) (laughs) My math is almost as good as my punctuation. If you, if you're one of the 90 million people that have had your access tokens revoked and you've been logged out by Facebook, then we don't know what's happened to your account. All we know that someone has been able to be you, and that means that all of the stuff that you've entrusted to Facebook is potentially has been potentially been exposed to whoever that was. Yeah. But Facebook is also the center of an awful lot of other apps as well because Facebook can be used to authenticate to other things and Facebook is also sort of joined by individual users to other services. So yes, they they right. they use Facebook authenticates itself to a third party service and then that service is allowed to post on your behalf and share data. Does that mean we should now switch that advice. We should all use password managers and make sure we pick a different password absolutely for every account. Don't use the single sign-on system. Well, that's, those are the questions it raises. So, I mean, we should be absolutely clear with people that our advice is and always has been that, you know, we think the, the best way to manage your authentication is to use a password manager, to use two-factor authentication and let the password manager take the strain of logging you into lots of different services. So you've got a separate password for each service yeah. and you use your password 
manager to manage those passwords and that it can enter those passwords, it can generate them and it can remember them for you. But people love single sign-on, don't they? Because it's kind of easy. Well, we've, sort of... we've had the conversation behind the scenes many times about single sign-on. We've never got to the point where we've actually offered it as advice that we, we think that this is the best way to do things. But in a scenario where if the choice is between somebody uh, coming up with their own bad N- password own, yeah. n- and then entrusting it to some you know, shady website that actually Facebook single sign-on is a pretty good option in that scenario. So there are the big single sign-on providers, which are now Facebook, Twitter, and Google. You know, you can use those accounts to log into other services. This same, this, this same risk could happen with something like Google, couldn't it? If they had a similar bug, it is again security versus convenience, is it not? Yes, I... I I want to be really clear, I think, about what the, the, the lessons from this. It's about the risks of single sign-on. The story is that some bugs occurred in Facebook and somebody successfully exploited those bugs. But the fact is that bugs in Facebook is not a new thing because Facebook is a big piece of software that's constantly developed, just like a whole bunch of other big pieces of software that are under constant development. Bugs in those bits of software are nothing new. Bugs in Facebook are nothing new. In this case, somebody with bad intentions, got to those bugs before the guys with good intentions. It was Facebook, but that's not because Facebook is intrinsically bad. If you don't like Facebook, you've had millions of reasons not to use it and not to engage with it until now. And I don't actually think that this is one of them, but I do think that this is a reason to question single sign-on because this could just as easily have been Twitter or Google. So this is basically when it comes to passwords and accounts and logins, despite the perhaps even significantly lower convenience, putting one egg in each of a lot of separate baskets is probably a better idea than having one password to rule all those accounts automatically. Yes, this frictionless, boundaryless panacea of single sign-on and, and you know never logging out of anything, actually the sorts of barriers you need are fairly simple things like having separate accounts and logging out when you've finished. We better let Matt have his turn now and tell us all about Android security. <laughs> I think this is a perfect place to say what naked security often does when we're faced with something like this, which is to quote the Karate Kid, where Mr. Miyagi says, best way to avoid punch, no be there. And that's what it is. If you log out, you're not logged in. Mark, thank you very much. Uh, let's just say your passion and your concern were kind of obvious. Now, you have to run, don't you? Because yep. you need to go off and do some, actually, go to home. I have to go and do some real world stuff, yep. Um, so we'll just pause while we let you escape and then uh, carry on once you're done. So that brings us to part two, where we talk to Matt Body about a presentation or series of presentations uh, he's going to be doing later this week. Matt, it's Wednesday and Thursday, the 3rd and 4th of October 2018, for anybody who's going to be at IP Expo at XL in London. If you're in the area, do stop in and see Matt. Now, my understanding is you've used standard, everyday, available to everybody tools to build a malicious Android app, distribute it via fake website. Trick someone into, uh, well, someone is you, trick someone into downloading it while they're on a coffee shop network. And then when they go into work, and of course they switch networks, they've kind of acted like the giant USB key in the car park, haven't they? 
That's it. It's, it. These are techniques we're seeing all the time. The, these types of techniques we see in real networks, we see on, on real devices, just simple phishing attacks. This just happened to be a, fo- uh, a phishing attack via WhatsApp, what we dubbed wishing last year. <laughs> That's wishing with an H. Wishing with an H, exactly. As WhatsApp what's phishing. Yeah, I thought that was very witty. I think it's brilliant. Come on, and guys, get behind us. Yeah. Wishing. Yeah. yeah. Fishing wishing and whatever else exactly so that's where you use whatsapp which is kind of a closed community so you're more inclined to trust the message a, f- a bogus app it doesn't have to do much it could yeah. be a card game or a compass or a timer or something that kind of people go oh god it wasn't that great but it wasn't that bad they delete the app and then they've left behind something yeah. like your what you, you're going to be demonstrating you don't even have to compromise the the whatsapp account we've seen it before in the past where you just need to be convincing enough that that person is going to get get a free thing if they send the message out to their friends. To enter the draw for the free yeah. iPad, iPhone XC. Please send this out to 10 of your contacts. At which point, 10 of the contacts get that message and let's say three of them believe it. That means another three people are send it out to another 10 of their contacts. So this this is able to duplicate and multiply yes, that, across to a, across networks very easily. Well, technically, that's exponentiation, isn't it? When yeah. it spreads like that, you only need to get one or two people inside an individual company, and then if they're inside a relatively undivided, unpartitioned network, you could find out where all the printers are, where all the Samba servers are, where all the RDP servers are, perhaps what all the file sharing share names are. You could get all the IP numbers that are active. So later, you've already, it's like you've got the map. So the way, the way in which I use it in this demonstration, I do a live demonstration of being able to get into that mobile phone. It changes networks from a random cafe network or a home network. In my demonstration, it is a random cafe network to the corporate network. And when we're on the corporate it's network... Burgonet. But yeah, McBurger Cafe, uh, uh, free Wi-Fi, I think I called it. Not associated with any shop whatsoever. Just a, a pretend free Wi-Fi. Uh, not, nothing to do with the protection of that free Wi-Fi as well, I should add. No. It's, it's, it's perfectly well protected. It's just that that phone has fallen for that link at that moment in time. So the, now, it's, when there's it's, nothing wrong with using free Wi-Fi. It's just no. that when you, you, when you use free Wi-Fi and let your guard down yeah. and then install some app because you think, oh, well, I'm just goofing off at the coffee shop. Yeah. When you get to work and connect to the work network, if your phone isn't managed with some kind of half-decent security software, you're bringing all the ills of the outside world right inside the network. Precisely. And with that ability, it means that the command and control link from that mobile phone has stuck with it. From the the cafe or whatever Wi-Fi or just the 4G, um, the the command and control link is still staying with that phone, meaning that it can be told to do whatever the attacker wants. Now, the big deal with what with CNC, command and control, yeah. in zombies or bots. The big deal is a lot of people think, oh, well, on my mobile phone, you know, there's, it's got a standard firewall and my mobile phone provider doesn't let me, and my Wi-Fi at home, it doesn't let anyone make inbound connections. So what, like if someone installs a server program on my phone, waste of time because no one's ever going to be connect in. But that's not how it works, is it? Command and control connects out. That's it, precisely. And then it sucks down the instructions in a way that is kind of indistinguishable from viewing a web page. Precisely. So, so the connection's always coming out from the inside. So that means your corporate firewall um, is going to be primarily looking for attacks coming in. Sometimes, uh, sometimes people set up intrusion prevention systems and other systems to be able to monitor what goes out as well. But it's always seen, seen as a little bit of a less concern what's going out, unless yeah. you're specifically looking for that command and control traffic. 
that when that command and control trap is going out, that bad person that's sitting in their man cave somewhere or woman cave when they're doing um, whatever malicious activity that they're doing can tell that phone to scan the entire network and release... Desperately trying not to use the name of any country where this man slash woman cave might be. Precisely, yeah. And in fact, even if you think they're in country X, they could be in country Y. Exactly. And they could have just hacked into a a server in country X or have got some free hosting in country Z. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah, most of the time, it's just a server that the crooks have compromised. And when they've compromised that server, they're able to they're able to do whatever they want on it. So, but by whatever they want, they've set it up as a server to dish out this malware and control what the malware is doing. At IP Expo, I imagine that many of the people that you'll be showing this demo to, and I love your demos because they're always very passionate and they they they're technical enough to be super interesting, even for very technical people, but they don't talk down to people who don't know machine code and JavaScript and Java and stuff like that. But most of the people who are looking at this, will, they'll already have bought into this idea. So your goal is not to try and teach them what to do. It's sort of to teach them how to persuade all their constituents, everyone else in their network, that a little bit of security and a tiny bit of inconvenience that they don't like can go an awful long way to stopping you losing your job and your company and whatnot. That's it, precisely. Because I think, what I, well, it came about when I was speaking to my mum. So when I spoke to my mum, <laughs> <laughs> not after the thing you hear said in uh, IT security, but, but when no, I, what our listeners don't know is that when you were telling us the story before, yeah. you emulated your mum's voice quite convincingly, I imagine. And I'm laughing because I'm wondering whether you're going to dare to do it again. I wouldn't dare do that, would I, Mum? No, absolutely not. Of course not. There we go. <laughs> so Stop. I imagine she, like most people, goes like, like, yeah, obviously for Windows, I'll have an antivirus. On my Mac, it's an antivirus. But a mobile phone, hey, it's just a phone, right? And it's Google will look after me on Android and Apple will look after me on iOS. And they do to an extent. But, but they just... can't stop you browsing. If you were determined to browse to a dodgy site... It's not their job to say, oh, we don't like that side. Precisely. And you can bypass that. But so if you if you mandate within your organization that people have to have some sort of security installed on their phone, their personal phone or their 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 corporate mobile, it gets rid of a lot of that margin for error. So so for my mum, for instance, she works in a school. She's not a uh, she's not majorly technical. She knows bits and bobs, but she doesn't necessarily she's not a security minded person. So in the school, she goes into meetings where they'll talk about um, different students which uh, may have medical issues or they may have family problems, very sensitive data that you wouldn't want leaving the school. And they may have this data stored in a database somewhere, fully encrypted, and never let it get out of their hands within that school. But at the same time, she's going into these meetings, having these discussions with her mobile phone in her pocket. And that's a microphone and a camera that's fully ready to to listen to anything that's being said. Uh, so my demo is around 20, 25 minutes or so. Um, at the software stand? At, no, not at the software stand. It's at one of the um, breakout sessions. I, I don't remember which one. I right. don't remember the time of it. I probably should. Uh, and it's not, none of it's smoke and mirrors. It's all actually happened. I set up two networks, d- did the entire lateral movement. I um, attacked an Android phone. I had persistence when it moved through networks. 
But these are all real attacks that we've seen happening individually that could be pieced together. You're using, you're using the tools that are currently most currently, popular with the crooks. Exactly. Freely available tools, really easy for me to do um, as somebody that doesn't set up malware on a daily basis uh, at all. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Not. Yeah. If you want to get into ransomware these days, you can sign up for one of these ransomware as a service things, click the button, they'll build the malware. In this case, you're on your own computer, you're building a standalone app, APK file, Android package. And one command, I I should reiterate, it was one command to build that APK package. So if you put in a bit more effort, you could tweak it and make it even worse. Yeah. Add in some customized things. Wow. Yeah. So the biggest message that I want to get home to to the techies out there that will be listening to this podcast and listening at IP Expo is um, that mobile security is really important, not just for us, but but for all of our colleagues and all of our family as well. Having some sort of mobile security really helps us secure. Because a few years ago, we used to see this with Mac users, didn't we? Yeah. Mac users, I don't need antivirus. They could even go to the Apple store and they go to the Genius Bar and it would kind of, the unwritten rule was, no, you don't really need an antivirus on the Mac. Nothing could go wrong. Well, the Mac users I meet these days, they've crossed that bridge. They're over it. They figure, I might as well have an antivirus, particularly if I may mention it, our own Sophos Home, the free version, it does antivirus and web filtering, protects you from an awful lot, protects you from yourself, if you like. So we don't really have that argument with Mac users that much, but we're kind of, history's repeating itself with mobile users. Precisely. I'm in a walled garden, Apple will take care of me, Google will look out for me. But that's not the case. We frequently see malware in the in Google Play, don't we? Yeah. Even though Google has a much vaunted vetting process, they're allowing so many apps that... Some are bound to slip through. We had some crypto jacking apps that we found 25 of them in Google Play just last month. Yeah, they do a great job. And they've got some antivirus built in with Google Play Protect that scans for malicious apps. But they can't, yeah, like you say, they can't protect you from everything. If you're sideloading apps or if anyone's sideloading apps within Well, in these cases, these were crypto jacking apps that were, that in, were Google in Google Play. Play. Yeah, we, yeah. You know, we also find other kinds of zombie apps, yeah. banking trojans that go after banking passwords. It's not just that they're out there in the Android ecosystem, they even make it into the into Google Play. That's very true. Why not block yourself from known bad stuff? Yeah, precisely. I think that's a great place to end. Otherwise, we've got excited enough. I think we could go on forever. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Uh, all the very best with your presentation. Thank I'll you. be down for the afternoon of the first day and on a panel on the second day. So I'll be sure to hook up with you and... Maybe you'll see us on Instagram. Who knows? I'm sure you will, definitely. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, as usual, stay stay secure. secure.